In this series, we'll be taking a look at Paul's letter to the Romans, a church that Paul did not plant. However, he was instrumental through his letters and his time in Rome to establish the foundational concepts of the gospel and leading the way in discipleship. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Hey, so we are finishing Romans today. Bittersweet for me. It is back in May when we started. Can you believe that? You remember May? The heat was just coming on. It's still here. What the heck, Arizona? Like, come on now. Cool down already. But all the way back in May, we started this journey on Romans, and here we are finishing Romans. And I don't know about you, but I feel like over this time, I've gotten to know Paul in a whole new light. I've gotten to understand Paul and his heart. I've gotten to see his commission and what it was he was uh, called to do by the Lord. And it's been an incredible journey to, to see how God gave him wisdom and understanding for who he was, who Jesus was, and how it all fit into history. And so even though most of the New Testament is Paul's writings and his letters to the churches, there's something special about Romans. There's a foundational, structural, theological center to Romans. And so here we come to the end of this great uh, masterpiece uh, in the end of 15 and, and then his final chapter of 16. So before we jump into that, though, I want to I share with you something that the Lord did this week, and I believe, as with all things, the Lord's timing is perfect and beautiful, but I had a chance Monday night to, uh, I met, met with my covenant group of guys I've been meeting with for about nine years, and one of them brought a friend of his who was in town, and this guy is one of those guys who just loves the Lord and has a bit of a prophetic ministry, and uh, spent the first career of his life as an adult after uh, spending time at Bethel Church working at a boys group home. Now this wasn't just any boys group home, this was the kind of boys group home where he said it was not uncommon to come home with a black eye or with someone else's spit on you because they would spit at you. Uh, they would punch him in the face. They, they were violent kids. These were the throwaway kids. These were the tough kids. And he made it his goal to love them to love them the way he felt Christ loved him. And so 18 months he spent working and loving these kids and not turning away when they showed him hate, but instead showing them love. And by the time he left, he said there were more than two dozen kids who gave their life to the Lord, and he got to lead them to the Lord. And so, yeah. Incredible gift to be able to do that. You have to have an understanding of who the Lord is. You have to have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is to be able to do that. No human by their own strength can just walk in and love their enemy that way. But this is what he was talking to us about. And he said that he only left because it was clear God was calling him. He didn't want to leave. He fought with the Lord to stay there, which seems crazy. You, You actually wanted to stay there. But he ended up going to China for the last nine months. And he's in town now for a couple of months, getting ready to head out for a three year stint back in China working um, with people on a college campus there. Just amazing, amazing things God's doing. And so we asked him as he's sitting with our small group and he's telling us about his ministry. And we said, what what do you tell people? What's the thing that if you could just leave us with something that you would want us to know? And he said simply, you guys should know how much Jesus loves you. Now he's talking to a group of Christian guys, guys who've born in the church and raised in the church and love the Lord and have met for the last nine years with each other because we love the Lord and we want to lead honorable, righteous lives. And he says, Jesus loves you. 
And I'll be honest, at first it was like, yeah, I know. I know Jesus loves me. That's why we're all here. Like, give us something profound, please. He's like, no. Like, what I show people is you got to understand how much Jesus is just absolutely encaptured, wrapped up with you, loves you. And at first, I had to get over my Christianese, right? My long-term, like, yes, I know. Like, when my wife says I do good at something, I'm like, you kind of have to say that, right? Like, you're my wife. You bought into this. Uh, and I sort of felt that way. Like, you know what? Jesus loves you. I know. I sang the song. Jesus loves me as a kid. I get it. What else do you have? And then that's that moment, right, where the Holy Spirit just says, shut up, Nathan. <laughs> he's, he's usually kinder than that, but he's like, shut up. Would you just hear what he's saying? And he said it a third time. He said, Jesus loves you. That's what I share with people. He goes, that's how I open conversations. And all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks, this realization of the difference between knowing about God and truly knowing God. Knowing of the Bible, knowing of morality, knowing of theology, and then knowing God. And there's only been really a couple other times in my life where I sat in the presence of someone where I could feel the Holy Spirit. The other time I've told the story was in Mexico. Uh, we were driving through drug neighborhoods, uh, gang-related neighborhoods, crazy stuff in this 16-passenger church van to pick up about 33 children, no joke, um, with the pastor of the church. We were driving and we are just cramming them in. And as, you, as I'm driving through this, like, the person, I just, I almost would have just reached out and held his hand if he would have let me. But it was this pastor, Pastor Lupe, because as I drove with him, there wasn't just a sense that this was his town. There was a sense that God's Holy Spirit rested on this man. There was just such a power in how he conducted himself and carried himself that as a young man in this foreign country, I didn't want to be anywhere that he wasn't because I sensed God's power so strongly. And I felt that same way Monday night talking with this young man as he shared his story of how God has radically changed his life and he shared with us the simple words God loves you I was so impacted by it he left Friday to head back east before he heads out in January to China and I said hey would you would you meet with me again and so at 5 a.m. on my Sabbath day Friday I woke up early drove to Phoenix so I could meet with him and just spend another hour with him and it was the same thing and begin to hear him and what I walked away from as I study Romans is Paul is getting ready to close this letter. He's getting ready to close a letter to Jewish converts that he helped convert who have moved back to Rome. Paul hasn't been to Rome yet, and then he's writing to people who he's never met before, but he knows the other apostles have discipled, and they are now believers in Christ. And as he closes this up, Paul's sort of leaving his final thoughts, the last things that if he could... If he could just be there in person, if he could encourage in person, he would make sure that they knew these things. And so this is where we're at. We're going to pick it up in Romans 15, verse 14. And Paul's going to explain a little bit about why he has been so bold in this letter, right? As he comes to a close, Paul, Paul's heart softens a little bit, not with uh, the truth, not that he doesn't believe what he said, but he's going to explain why he's been so bold. Verse 14 of chapter 15 says, I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, on some points I have written to you rather boldly, 
by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to boast of my work. For God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Thus I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard shall understand. Quoting Isaiah 52. Now this is important because Paul is wanting to remind them, I realize I have written things that are difficult. I realize that I have written things that go against your culture and how you were brought up and, and things that are going to be tough to change. But nothing I have said comes from my opinion. Nothing I have said comes from a smart argument that I have worked out. It all comes from understanding the gospel, the Old Testament, first of all, and the gospel and the message of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I have not added my own flair to any of it. I have not made it sound wise. I have not tried to influence you with things that would tickle your ear, I have spoke only the truth so that the Gentiles and the Jews might be sanctified together, that all people on the earth might come to know one God. I have not built on another man's foundation, which is why I have not been to you yet. That's what he's going to say here coming up. I have not been to Rome yet because I've spent time in the West as God has led me. Why? Because I love people because Jesus loves me because what Christ did on the cross I have a grasp of it now I didn't before which is why I persecuted the Christians but when he met me on the road to Damascus and blinded me and hit me upside the head and I saw it for the first time and, and, and now I see him I see Jesus and I love him I love him so much that it's everything I can do to share with people who he is so now remember, Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. So Paul, here at the close of his letter, is telling him that he's getting ready to visit Rome. And in verse 22, he says, This is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you, because he's been everywhere else preaching the gospel. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, I desire, as I have for many years, to come to you. When I go to Spain, for I do hope to see you on my journey and to be sent on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. They were pleased to do this, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material things as well. So when I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will set out by way of you, Rome, to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Pay attention to that part about Spain. We're going we're to talk about that here in a second. 
Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in earnest prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company, the God of what? Peace be with all of you. The God of peace be with all of you. So much to cover. This is the first time anywhere in Paul's writings that we see this mention of going to Spain. First time. Luke doesn't talk about it in Acts, and Paul, at the end of this letter, says, by the way, I'm going to come visit you on my way to Spain. And, and, and I've got some stuff to drop off for you. I've got some finances to drop off for you, and, and I'm bringing it. Now, remember, there wasn't a bank, there wasn't a check that he was going to drop off Paul was carrying large amounts of gold and cash and valuable uh, silver and he was bringing it with him to Rome and then he says on my way to Spain it was a dream of Paul's to get to Spain and what we can see from the scriptures and if you look at the end of Acts we understand that he never really made it out of Rome now that's where he would he would die and so he never made it to Spain Although it sounds, as he writes, that it was a dream. One of the things I want to encourage you in here is that if God has put a dream on your heart, if he has put a goal, if he has put a mission, and you just feel like you're not as far as you should be, according to your calendar, you should have been there five years ago. Or you should be much further along in the process to achieving that dream. Every dream, every goal begins with steps and Romans was part of that step for Paul as he wrote this letter ahead of his trip ahead of his journey it was part of his dream to make it to Spain but if it wasn't for Paul being faithful in the little things and writing a book like Romans we wouldn't have this letter today or at least it wouldn't have been through Paul somebody else would have wrote it the Lord would have given a foundation somewhere but I want to encourage you this morning. I just felt like a word from the Lord was to encourage the people who God has given a dream to to not give up, to not become hard of heart, to not become apathetic about your dream because it's not where you want it to be, but to remember that if God has put a dream in your heart, that you would stick to it, that you would give it to Him, that you would not hang on so tightly to it that it becomes an idol in your life, but that you would trust that He's working through you with that dream. Amen? So as Paul says here, I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Anybody remember what happened when he got to Jerusalem? In case you forgot, Acts 21 reminds us. It says that the uh, Israelites seized him shouting, Fellow Israelite, this is the man who is teaching everyone against our people, our law in this place. More than that, he's brought Greeks into the temple. And then you move on down. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and shut the doors. While they were trying to kill him, Word came to the tribune of, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them where he found Paul so beaten so badly that he had to be carried by the soldiers and the crowd yelled away with him. Isn't that humbling? Here Paul's writing this letter to Rome and again, put the Bible in context. He's writing this letter with joy. He's excited. I'm getting to go to Spain, finally. The Lord has had me in the West and all of these different places, Corinth and Antioch. 
and I'm finally heading east, and I'm going to Spain, and I'm going to stop in Rome, the great civilized city, and I'm going to get to see and encourage the believers there. And he says in his letter as he's closing it out, pray for me as that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my ministry to Jerusalem will be acceptable. And it's there in Jerusalem where he, he finds his way to Rome, but it wasn't how he thought it was going to be. Shipwrecks and beatings and snake bites and all sorts of craziness and then arrests. But he made it to Rome. That's so often is how the Lord will bring about a dream. It comes a lot harder than the path that we pick. We have such a perfect path. Our path is lined with daisies and flowers and minstrels singing all sorts of delightful 90s tunes or 60s. But God goes, oh, I'm going to get you to Rome, but it's not going to look like you thought it was going to look. And then he says, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. This is the God of peace. May he be with all of you. When I went Friday morning to talk with that missionary again, I said, I just asked sort of the question that was on my mind. I said, really, what do you say when you just walk up to random people on campus? Or he gave us stories there in Phoenix while he's been here of people that God just said, go talk to them. And I said, well, what do you say? Like, how do you open it? What's it look like? And that's when he said, I, I just tell them Jesus loves them. And then he said, and then just an incredible peace comes over me. He goes, that's how I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I just have this insane peace. I'm not anxious. I'm not worried about embarrassment. I'm not worried about rejection. I'm just at peace. He said, whenever I'm making any decisions, going back to China, leaving the group home, um, spending time here in the States where he's supposed to be, he says, as I make decisions, I feel the peace of the Lord and I move forward. And as he said that, it reminded me of a message from Bill Johnson where he talked about how the Holy Spirit in the Bible is compared to a dove and that if you had a dove sitting on your shoulder how would you live life with the dove in mind because doves are skittish creatures and so everything you do would be so as to not scare the dove away but you would recognize that the dove is there and I love that picture I heard this over the summer I love that picture of the Holy Spirit that everything I do in my life is with the Spirit in mind because when I do that I have peace. You see, it's so often the decisions that I make that hurt others and hurt myself and cause me anxiety are the decisions that, let's be honest, we didn't do them because we had peace. We did them because it felt right or it was just easiest in the moment. So Paul says, may the God of peace be with you. So 16, the first 16 verses, Paul's going to do essentially a greeting to all of the people who have helped him in his ministry up until this point. And if you've ever watched award shows, as they begin to give thank yous to people, it can go on and on and on. And uh, I'm sure there were more people than the 24 plus that were named in here. Not all of these are believers. Some of these are people who housed believers, people of wealth who, who never themselves came to the Lord, but allowed Christians into their home. And so he commends lots of people here, and I think it's important to note this. Uh, we won't read all of the names, mainly because I can't pronounce them all. Mari? Mary. Anyway, the point is that he gives thanks to those who helped him in ministry. And likewise, I know you, many, like we know Paul and, and Timothy and Peter, and, and you know me and Josh and Blake and Chad, and you know some of 
the pastors here, but ministry at LifePoint wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the 200-plus volunteers. The women right now sitting in our, are in our baby's room, wiping dirty butts, holding crying babies, so you can sit in here and be ministered to by the Lord. And then every volunteer leading up to that. And those who go and lead mission trips. And those who love their neighbors and their community and invite them here to church and, and share their message and testimony with Christ. If I could give thanks, it would be a long list of people who would receive thanks. Ministry doesn't happen by just the couple of people that God has called to speak and teach. It happens with the church and the body. So that's what those 16 verses are there. But I want to pick it up in 17 as Paul gives final instruction and closes out this letter. He says in verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and offenses in opposition to the teaching that you have learned. Avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the simple-minded. For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise in what is good and guiltless, guileless in what is evil. The God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of your Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he's going to go on to greet and thank some other people. I picture this as a father saying goodbye to his son or daughter, sending him off to college. And as his final words, as he realizes he's coming to the end of what the Spirit has given him, his final instruction to his children is, brothers and sisters, would you keep an eye out for those who look to bring deceit, who look to divide you, who look to find the small, unimportant things and get you to quarrel and fight over them so that you won't be effective for the big things that God wants you to do? Would you be aware that it's going to happen? Would you be aware that they aren't going to come at you in ways that it will be obvious, but they're going to come at you with smooth talk and flattering? They're going to say things that sound right in the moment. They're going to typically say things that are easier than doing what is right. Would you be aware? Would you be aware? He says, for the hearts of the simple-minded... You see, it's not an easy thing to be a Christian where we're asked to love our enemies and we're asked to, to sacrifice and we're asked to invite people into our homes and show them the love of Christ. There's a lot of trust there, isn't there? There's a lot of trust. One of the hardest things to get back in a relationship that ever gets lost is trust. And so Paul says, I understand what I've asked of you. I understand what Christ has asked of you that you can be burned by a church. You can be burned by a congregant. You can have someone abuse your trust, and it happens in the church all the time, unfortunately. People misuse the trust of Christians looking to help others, looking to fulfill the commission. And so Paul here quotes Jesus, essentially, or, or reinforces what he says when he says, I rejoice over you. I want you to be wise in what is good and guileless in what is evil. I want you to be gentle as a serpent, but wise as, I mean, gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Serpents are very gentle. I want you to be gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent. And then he quotes Genesis. For the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, 
in a culture today that goes pretty much starkly against self-sacrifice and true love, truly loving another. It's really difficult when the world speaks on behalf of love to devise what is love and what is self. One of the things I can say is this, is that in my life, this idea of peace has been a forefront of checking myself against what is of me, what is of man, and what is of the Lord. Lord, have you given me peace to move forward with this? Have I rationalized peace? Did I work it out in my mind until I came to a place where I have justified the reason for what I'm doing and I have confused it with the peace of your Holy Spirit? Anyone know that feeling? Anybody ever walked into that dangerous room? No, what I found is that the peace of the Lord is evident. It is clear. It is so much clearer than any sort of good feeling or, or intuition. It is, it is supernatural when you have the peace of God resting on you for a decision. In the midst of chaos, you feel great. In the midst of other people anxious and scared, you have no fear. And so I begin to check myself when it comes to issues on morality or social justice, when it comes to issues of our culture that the culture says I should take a side on. And I have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do I do here? What do you teach? See, Paul says, remember the foundations. Remember the foundations because there are going to come men and women your way who will dissuade you and divide you with flattering and smooth talk. And I'm asking you, remember your teaching. Remember everything else I have written in this letter. I have not written it to please you, and I have not written it so it sounds good. I have written it because it's the truth. Period. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. May Christ, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And now the final verses, 25 through 27, the doxology, the close of Romans. Paul says, Now to God who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. Through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. It's important to note that in a time and an age when the wise sages of the first century sought their own glory. They shared the wisdom they had. They would go from place to place making you pay for their wisdom. And they would do it in their own name so that their name might be recognized. Paul closes out his greatest letter, his greatest theological piece, by turning any attention and glory away from himself and saying, all I am doing is revealing what has been revealed to me the mystery of how God would redeem his people, how God would redeem the Gentiles, has now been disclosed in the man and the person, the God of Jesus Christ. He is one God with the Father. It is a mystery how it works, but it has been disclosed that this is truth. And I give it all to you, I share it all for you, not for the glory of Paul, not that you would build altars to me or worship me, but I do it for the glory to whom is due forever Jesus Christ so there would be no confusion of who we should worship there would be no confusion of where wisdom comes from that everything Paul did and everything Paul spoke was because of Christ through him
That's what I mean about bittersweet coming to the end of Romans. You see a life completely transformed. You see a man with complete understanding and the full weight of the Holy Spirit, the weight of glory upon his life. Did not mean his life was easy, quite the opposite, but it meant his life was full of purpose. What he did was meaningful. And so to you this morning, as we close, I just want to say, wherever you're at with the Lord, whatever you know about the Lord, whatever you've heard in church about Jesus Christ, I want to emphasize to you one thing this morning, and that's that he loves you. It's kind of a goodwill hunting moment right now. Remember that? It's not your fault. I know. It's not your fault. I know. Then he hugs him and starts crying. Sometimes it takes that. We're used to hearing Jesus loves you. But then we go, well, okay, fine, but what does he think about this and this and this? And where does Jesus stand on this? And, and we just quickly move past it as if, it as if it's old hat, as if it's old news. I'm telling you, it's not old news. Find that again this morning. When I left my time with Ben, this missionary heading back to China Friday morning, I knew that it was time ordained by the Lord because of what I was speaking on today. And what the Lord wanted me to hear and what he was reminding me is that he's enough. And he loves me. You want answers to your questions? You want peace about the decisions you're making morally and socially in this life? Then wrestle with the Lord. Pursue it. Fight with him. Engage him. Do not give up because you do not hear an answer. Do not give up because the answer you're hearing you don't like. Continue to wrestle with Him. By the grace of His Spirit, may you continue to fight. Don't look for the Cliff Notes version. Don't Google it. What does Jesus think about abortion? <laughs> like, don't, please don't do that. We have not been given Google to look that up. We've been given Google to, like, how do I program my TV to record two shows at once. You can Google that. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, would you just ask Him? Would you just pursue Him? Would you spend time in His Word? Would you reread His Word over and over again? Would you ask His Spirit to reveal it to you? And then would you be quiet long enough to hear it? Oh, this is life. This is beauty. So you may... You may have noticed since I've been back for about the last eight weeks, I haven't been preaching from notes, and there's a reason for that. There's something that the Lord did in my heart after my sabbatical time, and that He's continued to bring out of me. And it's this trust that He'll give me the words to say when I get up here. It's this trust that I study all week, I put in the time all week, I seek Him all week, but that when I come up here, I would rely on him to deliver the message that he would have me deliver and I say that to say this that it didn't come overnight that it didn't happen right away but it was step by step over the last four years of ministry of walking with the Lord and being patient and if you ever see me when I'm up here just go quiet for a minute it's because I'm listening to what he's saying to me and so I'm telling you this because this is how it looks for you as you leave here today 
it takes a lot more time listening than speaking to the Lord. And as a culture that is fast food and saran wrap packaged and ready to go, microwave culture, we want it now, we want our answers now, and I encourage you, turn from that, fight against that, engage the Lord, wrestle with the Lord. Because this is the matter of life and death. This isn't what clothes you'll wear tomorrow or where you will decide to settle down for retirement. This isn't what career you'll pursue. This is eternal life. There's no more important decision than what you make right here. And so I encourage you, wrestle with the Lord. And may the God of love and peace be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do, I, I fight and wrestle with you, Lord. That you would overcome the flesh, that you would overcome the sin nature that still resides in this body. And I just ask, I ask by your spirit that you would bring life to those here seeking it this morning. To those who came with questions this morning, with pain, with longing, that they would press into you, Lord, that they would know that there's no short, easy answer, but that you are the answer. Jesus loves you this morning. Jesus loves you. The God of the universe wants to be with you. He cares about you. Your life is not meaningless. The choices you've made have not ruined you. May be broken, but you are not beyond being put back together. The gift of Christ on the cross was that he was redeemed every single man and woman in this room, that he has fixed what sin broke, that he has repaired it, that the long-awaited answer to the problem of sin has been answered, and the name is Jesus Christ. And he wants you to do more than just know about him. He wants you to know him. So this morning, if you know him, we invite you to take communion with us. But here's the thing. Some of us here are Christians, and we still feel like we don't know him. And so I encourage you, if that's you, to get to a place, get on your knees where you're at, come to the front, move against culture that says, no, I just better sit in my chair and just spend some time with him. Spend some time listening to him. Would you believe that he wants to speak to you right here? You don't have to wait. You don't have to go somewhere else. He wants to speak to you right here, right now. Would you put yourself in a posture that allows you to hear that? And then if you have time, you can come and take communion here and go back to your seat and spend time with the Lord, or you can spend time with the Lord and then come up and take communion later. I don't care. I just, we'd be remiss if we spoke all of this and we worship the name of the Lord that we didn't actually spend time listening to him. Right? So I'm going to pray and bless this communion and the band will play for a little bit here and you just come and receive communion as the Lord leads you if you have a relationship with him if you don't have a relationship with the Lord then what we ask is you would come and talk with one of our prayer partners you just get up while everyone else is getting up and walk over to our prayer room and say I, I want to know what it means to know the Lord we'd be happy to share that with you but we receive communion every week because the bread is the body and the juice is the blood of Christ the answer to the problem of sin and we remember what Christ did on the cross. Why? Because he loves us. He's enough. Jesus, bless this time of communion.
It's in you, in your name that we take it. Amen.